Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am your host. And today we have an amazing guest, my friend. You know her as Zena Estrada. Zena has helped many individuals who suffer from the disease of addiction through her empathetic approach. She has been working in chemical dependency since 2011. She adds unique personal insight to the process, which helps others to feel comfortable as she assists with various needs. She underwent substance abuse treatment by sharing her journey on the A&E show Intervention. Since undergoing treatment in 2011, Zena has achieved and maintained her recovery and has helped thousands of people suffering from the disease of addiction as well as their loved ones. You guys, this episode is awesome. Zena is awesome. She was also on A&E Intervention, as I just said, And if you haven't seen it, look it up. The transformation she has made from that girl to the woman that she is today is next level. Absolutely next level. And this story does not disappoint from losing her first husband, the father of her oldest daughter, to dealing with the cultural differences of a Christian mother and a practicing Muslim father and growing up. Uh, in multiple states, and then eventually leaving Florida uh, through a reality television show. So please, please check this story out. It's unbelievable. Zena is unbelievable. And uh, we're super excited that she came into the booth to record with us. All right, episode 22. Let's do this. Welcome to the podcast booth. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. Okay, so one thing that's really... so How how long have you been sober? I will have eight years next month in June 2018. 19. So one thing that's very interesting about your story is that you were actually... You got sober through the television show Intervention. I did. How did that, I think most people watch that and have no idea that that's like a real. It's totally real. (laughs) It's real. Wait, so did they follow you around? Yeah, they followed me around. So, so before they do any of that though, they call you and set you up for a psyche vow. So I had to do a psyche vow, which I failed the first one actually. So they did. And so I had to do another one. Yeah, I, I I don't even know. I was so messed up. But so I did the second one and they came out. But what they do is they tell you that you're going to do a documentary. So you're going to do a documentary for like the History Channel or whatever. And so they, they send you like links that you can check out their old documentaries and things like that. And so I did it. Did you I checked, checked it? I checked it all out and it was fine. And I was like, fine, bring me a pack of Newports. And a Starbucks every day. I'll do it. I'm down. So, um, but my husband had died of an overdose. And so they were like to help people that have been through similar situations. And I was like, fine. So they came out and they filmed me for a week. And, you know, my family, I was so resentful, actually, when, when the intervention went down. Like there was a small part of me that wanted to get the help that like hadn't had a chance to go to a really nice treatment center or like get good therapy or anything like that. 
But, you know, I was scared. Like, I was scared that I was going to fail again and then, like, it was going to be on TV and my kid was going to see me fail. And I was, you know, because that's what I do. I was really good at running my life into the ground. And But they picked out a place that was 30 minutes away from where my daughter was. She had gone from Florida out to California. And I was in Florida and they told me that I was going to be in treatment 30 minutes away from her. And I hadn't seen her for, like, a year. Right. And so I, I went. I didn't... I, like, ran in the beginning. I was like, I'm not going. You guys are crazy. You're using my daughter. You're holding her against me. Like, you know, jerks. But it all worked out. So were they, like, were they following you with a camera while you're using? Oh, totally. Like, so, like what's right that? What is face? that like? You know, I was so high <laughs> that... I didn't even, like, notice them, really. I mean... There's a camera in your face, you're shooting dope. Yeah. And I'm just like, whatever, just don't take my dope and don't call the cops. Like, we're all good. You know, when when you take as many Xanax as I was taking and opiates, like, your eyes aren't open most yeah. of the time yeah. anyways. So yeah. if I was doing, like, meth or cocaine, I would probably be, like, freaking, freaking. out. Yeah. But because what I... My yeah. Yeah. drug of choice was, like... I was super relaxed, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people take, take them for like job interviews or whatever to calm their anxiety. Well, I was taking probably like 10 times what those people take. Right. And somehow I wasn't dead, but you know, I was relaxed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But they, they Did they come with you to pick up? Well, no. So I, (laughs) we're going to just put this out there, but I would go to like eight doctors a month. Yeah. And and so they doctor shopping. Yeah. So they did the intervention based on when I was going to the doctor. So I would go and come back and they didn't film me like going there or coming back, but okay. like they knew like they came the day before when I was sick so they could film me being sick and then the next day I would be better and go to the doctor and come back and then cuz they're like we want to shoot you while you're while you're in your active addiction. And yeah. I'm like, okay. And you're just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. How did they find you? I honestly think that it was my mom. Because I I kind of remember her doing a video of me. <laughs> and like she was like, I just want you to tell people. She's like, I have a friend. I don't even remember like the whole the gist of it, but she she did a video of me. Because she has a, I don't know, she's like, I'm going to send it to my friend. Because my mom was like a minister too. So she had all these like, she's like, I want to have them pray for you. And I'm like, okay. So I, I did this video like telling them about my husband dying and, and losing my kid and all of these things. And yeah, I think that's, I she honestly, it. I think that's how it happened. But I don't know because they don't tell you. And like I was so angry and like my mom passed away. And so like I didn't have a chance to like ask her all of these things. Yes. Yeah. It's not something you really think about. Does it ever come up, like, have, have other than, like, if you've told people, or people like, hey, I saw you on. So my favorite one <laughs> is when people come up to me and they'll say, and I don't know why, like, how these people even find that episode of people Intervention. People are obsessed with Intervention. Okay, so, <laughs> for example, like, I went to the emergency room a little while ago, and the lady behind the desk, she says, how long ago? This was like a month ago. Oh. Because it's on Hulu right now. And so... Ooh, you famous, girl. Oh, my God. So (laughs) it's ridiculous. They'll look at me and they'll go, you look so familiar. And I'm like, 
yeah, I hear that a lot. Like, I don't want them to know yeah, that. Like, totally. You're at the ER. You're not yeah. trying to like, be like, yeah, I was the junkie on right. intervention. Yeah, yeah. I get that. So, um, but yeah, that's what I get a lot. They'll be like, you look really familiar. And then like, I just don't say anything. Yeah. When I first got sober, I would be like, yeah, I was on intervention. Like, yay, yay, yay. But now I'm like, I have kids that are in schools and like, yeah. I don't want all of these parents to be like, uh, my kid's not coming to your house. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So has um, anyone been like, are you on intervention? That's what'll happen. So they'll, they'll say you look familiar. And then like five minutes later, they'll be like, were you on TV? And I'm like, I was on intervention. They're like, oh my gosh, we knew. But they're always super supportive. And like, I get tons of like Facebook messenger messages where they'll be like, I know that this is super weird and awkward, but I saw you on intervention and I just wanted to say we're happy that you're doing so well. And like, so I, I respond to all of them. That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. Those are, those are the good ones. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. Googling my name is weird, but yeah, (laughs) I try not to do that because there's people that are rude. Like there's one that says, and I stopped reading them after a while, but there was one that was like, oh, she got so fat. And someone was like defending me though. In the next comment, they're like, yeah, but she's sober and she's Is alive. Is this the YouTube comments? I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I don't remember. That's where, that's, that's where, like, the, people always talk about, like, YouTube comments being, like, the filth of, of humanity. It's just awful. Yeah. Like, people are so mean. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tough guy I, behind I just, the keyboard. I just don't read yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. That's the easier way to do it. So. So you referenced a couple different things, you know, including one was that, you lived in Georgia and then moved to, you moved to Florida and then to California. So how old were you when you lived, how long did you live in Georgia? So I was born in Georgia and I lived there for, I want to say 11 years, 11 or 12 years. And then my parents started going through a divorce. I wasn't, I didn't even know that they were going to get a divorce. Like we just went to go live in Florida because that's where my grandparents lived. And we went to visit one summer And then we just never left. Like, I switched schools, everything, and my dad came, and we were still living together. And then my parents got into this big fight, and then we weren't living together anymore. And Like, they didn't explain it to you? Well, no, they were always fighting, though. Oh, so it wasn't anything. They were pretty much always fighting. So what's interesting about your parents is they come from incredibly different cultures. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so my dad... um, is Syrian with like some Turkish mixed in there. And then my mom is like white girl, like, (laughs) like a little country white girl. So she was born in Texas, raised in Alabama. Oh yeah. And then actually moved to Georgia where my dad met her because he came over to go to college. And he, he was practicing Muslim. Yeah. He was practicing Islam and she was like Christian, 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 Christian. And then she actually converted over to Islam for a little while. Oh. And, and then, then went back? You know, now that I'm thinking, maybe that's why they got divorced. Because she went back. So uh, she went back she, to Oh, she converted and then... She, yeah. So she converted and then she went back and then she started a whole ministry, like ministering. She didn't just go back. Yeah. She went back with a bang. Yeah. So she started like ministering to women that would marry Muslim men and like oh. trying to help them. Like, uh, it was... It was a lot. So, yeah. Did you did, did you guys talk about that much? Like, was there... Because in my house, my mom is Episcopalian, mm-hmm. and we were baptized Episcopalian, and my dad, his whole family's Jewish, and, like, New York 
Jews yeah. and very different cultures. So but different. but we talked about it a lot. We was a, there, it was a joke. We called ourselves hybrids and well, you know. it wasn't funny at my house. Right. Okay. Like it was not like something to joke about. Okay. It was like my mom. Was always like your dad's gonna go to hell, and my dad's like your Whoa. mom's gonna go to hell. Like oh. so, it was oh, yeah. like so not funny. whatever I believe, I'm going to hell. So wow. like that. And sucks. did you think you were going to hell? Like so, or I were you like you all are a little. Well, no, I just started like making my own beliefs. I yeah. guess I could say like I was more like if you're a good person and you like whoever you worship, like Jesus, God, whatever. I was like, there's a heaven for all of you. Yeah. Like in my mind, like that's the only way that I could comprehend it. Yeah. But then my, I went to like an Arabic school where I was like in an Arabic school for not anymore. But when I was little, when I was little, I did. And I want to see video of you speaking Arabic. Yeah. I'm sure there is one. We'll, we'll find it. We'll find it. Um, not on Hulu. No, not on Hulu. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so I started going to this Arabic school for a little while, and then when we – that was in Georgia. And then we moved to Florida, and I was going to just regular old American public school. And But here's the thing. Like, I always wanted to be Christian because everyone was Christian. Right, right. Like, no one was Muslim. And, like, I was, like – my dad made me, like – well, not made me, but I would cover my hair and stuff like that until I got into the public schools. Like full? Yeah, like the hijab. I would wear that. And um, like praying five day- times a day, like wow. the, the full the thing. Yeah, the whole shebang. And But I always wanted to go to church because like everyone went to church, you know, and I was yeah. like never allowed to go to church. In. Yeah. And so I started like sneaking off and riding my bike to church. And then, like, my dad, I, like, bought, like, a little cross necklace. And, like, my dad came home and, like, he was, it's, like, it was, like, a slap in the face. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, it was, like, really disrespectful, like, super disrespectful. Um, I didn't think of it like that back then. But looking back on it now, like, I was raised one way. And then, like, my mom was, like, no, we're going to go to church. And, like, so we started sneaking to church. And then they got a divorce. And then I went, like, super Christian so I on was your like, own or on my own. Wow. So I'm the one that started going to church first. And then my mom started going back. And then she, like, got saved again. And then my dad was like, thanks for slapping me in the face, guys. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. he's, like, off in Georgia trying to, like, get our business established and move to Florida and all these things. And, yeah, so that was super, like, that was a rough, rough yeah. patch there. Yeah. So then. It sounds very confusing, honestly. It was, it was really confusing. Yeah. So then, um. Now my my parents are, like, fighting over us. So there's, like, custody battles going on. And so I'm having to go to testify against my dad. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go testify against my mom. No. I, like, in court. Because, oh. like, I it's hard to pick between your parents. Well, you know? Yeah. So it's just, like, okay, just, I'll, I'll listen to what you say and then I'll listen to what you say. And so they were just. Are you an only child? No. There's actually um, four of my. My mom has four with my dad. But then there's seven of us total. So my mom has three older ones from a different marriage. Okay. So when she was living in Alabama. Okay. So, and then you have three siblings. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, well, there's six of us technically. You, but, you have but three but siblings with your up, dad. Yeah. That you were growing yeah. up with. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what's your birth order? So I was first born. My mom didn't think that she could get pregnant. Oops. And she met my dad in a <laughs> bar in Atlanta and they were celebrating her divorce. <laughs> and she met my dad. And then 
I guess somehow she got pregnant yeah. and then she ended up marrying my dad. Pretty sure she was pregnant first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I was born and then she got pregnant again with my little brother. And then she got, that was three years later. And then she got pregnant again with twins. Yeah. Boy and a girl. So and you, oh, you have twin siblings. Yeah. Twin siblings. And so, so you've seen it up close. Yeah. I know the madness. but it's cool like um but me and my little brother started fighting a lot because in the arab culture like women are not like men are better than women yeah and so i was kind of like pushed so i was like daddy's girl daddy's girl daddy's girl and then firstborn son and so i kind of started to compete with my brother on everything like everything that he did i had to do like a hundred times better like, I would do sports, I would do those better, but he would still get praise for, like, doing something not as great. But he's very, like, artsy and, like, good with music and all that stuff, but I am I missed that. Somehow that gene didn't hit me. <laughs> I was just, like, I was good at weightlifting, cheerleading, like, strong things. Yeah. yeah. Um, which isn't ladylike. Right, You right, know what I mean? Right. And so I was never, like, this prissy little girl that... Um, Anyway, so my brother was more like he would try to play football and he would break his foot. Like he's he broke his leg three times oh. every time he tried to play football. Oh and gosh. I'm like, give it up, bro. Put the football down. Yeah, stick to the guitar, buddy. But yeah, I don't know. I got sidetracked. But we're in Florida, and yeah, so my parents are separated and or divorced, and now my mom's like not letting us go to my dad's house. And so my dad starts fighting for us. And, like, looking at it now, like, he fought so hard. And we were just like, no, we're not coming there. Like, I would have the cops. They would drag me into my dad's house. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I don't want to go. Like, kicking and screaming. And, like, he literally just wanted to spend time with his kids. Yeah. Like, looking back at it now. Yeah. Uh, So it kind of... That's pretty awful. Anyway, so we, my mom ended up marrying another guy who she met online in a Christian dating room. (laughs) And we, I was raised on a little island in Florida. So it's called Anna Marie Island. It's like this little tiny island. And we moved, we moved off the island into town. And so I started going to a different school when I was like 14 or high school or something. And, um, yeah, man, I went from like, a really preppy like school where like the cheerleaders were like number one and I was cheerleading captain and all of these things and went to this other school and I was just bullied like people would throw gum in my hair like so rude and so like what were you being bullied for because they came from the other school so like they were the rivals right all the guys were really nice to me yeah um but the girls were Horrible, like absolutely horrible. Like I would just come home like bawling, crying. And the school I was at before, like I wasn't like popular or anything, but I wasn't getting like gum thrown in my hair or like spit on. Like it, yeah, it was awful. So yeah, so I started going to school. So then I was like, okay, I'll just be friends with whoever. And like someone was like, do you want to try to skip school? And I was like, oh, I've never done that before. And so I did that. I ended up skipping school. I ended up you know, smoking weed for the first time. I ended up having sex for the first time, like all of these things. And then I was cool, you know? Right. Um, But because I entered the school late in the year, they put me, I was really, I loved doing like TV production stuff. 
And so they put me in this senior TV production class. So I was friends with all the seniors, but I was a freshman. Right. And so, like, I started going to all, like, the senior parties and, like, hanging out with all of them, which, you know, wasn't that – I mean, it was super fun. Yeah. (laughs) But um, that made everyone hate me even more, you know, because these girls are like, oh, you get to hang out with these guys. and Right. um, But I was – am I allowed to say slut? I mean, you could say yeah. <laughs> I was a big slut in high school, <laughs> and um, it was awful. For well, I mean, it was fun then, but looking back now, I'm like, oh god, that was horrible. And so then I met. You'd think that girls would like see the opportunity by like befriending some you, and then well, getting the, themselves the into girl, the parties. The girls not very strategic from my old school. Yeah. That's what okay. they did. Okay. Yeah. See, that's yeah. like strategic. Yeah. Hello. But like I was still, you know. Anyway, so I ended up getting kicked out of the school anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, I got expelled from like four different schools actually in high school and I ended up just getting my GED. But I met I met a drug dealer. And when so in part of this you were really into gymnastics. Oh yeah. So I was a gymnast from I was three. So from three up until um, gosh, I want to say up until I was, I must have been 12. Okay. Yeah. So the coach though, um, was a horrible person, one of the coaches. And it was like this big thing in the city that I was from. Um, and he actually like molested a bunch of girls and I happened to be one of those girls. And so after that, I was like, nope, don't want to do gymnastics anymore. And because gymnasts like hate cheerleading so much and Mm -hmm. like coaches don't want gymnasts to be cheerleaders well they didn't back then and um so I was like okay I'm gonna do cheer oh that's interesting I didn't know that yeah so I started doing cheer and my dad and there like cheerleading is also bad in his culture so I would have to like sneak to cheerleading practice and you were captain of the yeah so like (laughs) in high school well my in my mind I was like I'm gonna try out for Manatee which is like the preppy air school I was like I'm gonna try out for that if I don't get into that, because I was a gifted student also. So there there was another high school, which is like Southeast, which is like a rival of Manatee. I was like, if I don't become cheerleader, I'm going to go to the IB program at Southeast and cheer there, which is like this really super smart program, whatever. But I became, I got into cheer at Manatee. And then actually the real story is I was co-captain and the captain got into a fight with someone and got kicked off. And so then I became captain. Yeah. And so that was crazy. But the fact that I even got elected to be co-captain, I was like stoked. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Like because the girls that did it, like they were not nice to me in middle school either. Yeah. So you, okay. So you were, co- you became captain. You're sneaking to. Right. So I was sneaking to cheer practice when I was in middle school. But then once high school and I made cheer, I was like. I was so happy. Like, there were probably 300 people that tried out. So I was like, this is a really good thing. So I told my dad, and my dad's like, I don't want you cheering. And I'm like, well, I'm going to cheer anyway. So, but he didn't get it. Like, his culture is different. So you're first generation, you're 50% first generation. Mm-hmm. So there's, you have to deal with, because I've seen, I have friends who's um, our first generation would you say Muslim? Yeah, I think so. First generation Muslim. Um, I have friends who are first generation 
Muslim, and it's a very interesting, their Americanized children is a very, very difficult, particularly the fathers is a, with their daughters, is a yeah. very difficult thing for them to yeah. watch. It's, yeah. It's they come a, here for the opportunity, but then yeah. they don't Because, like, they want like. you to, like, wear long pants, long sleeves, um, cover your hair. I mean, the hair covering is really optional. Um, it's not supposed to be, but it's... In the years, it's become more relaxed, but like a cheerleading uniform is not right, really. But neither is gymnastics leotard. So, like, I don't yeah. know why gymnastics was accepted, but then cheerleading wasn't. Right. So, it was like a battle for that. And then I got into weightlifting and like loved weightlifting, did yeah. really good with that. So, I was doing cheer and weightlifting, and but yeah, but then I switched schools. And so, I switched schools and they put me on their cheer team. No questions asked. No question. I didn't even have to try out, really. They were just like, okay, come on over. And then I went back. So then I went back to my old high school because I started getting into so much trouble. Then I got kicked off of cheer because my grades started dropping mm. because I was skipping so much school because I had now gotten into that habit from being at the other school. And I met this – I don't even know how I met him, but I did. I met – at one of those parties, I met – this guy, this drug dealer guy. And because of the, all the fighting at home, like I never wanted to be home. And so I was always like, well, not even the fighting at home, but like my mom pulling me one way and then my dad pulling me the other way or like give this message to your dad or give this message to your mom or like, and like, and I promised myself if anything ever happens to me and my husband, like I will not put the kids in the middle of it. Like, I don't care if it turns out that I hate him with all my guts. Like I will not hold the kids because all that does is mess with them. Yeah. And so it's like, it. I mean, it's kind of good because, you know, I learned that, but it, it was rough. So I start hanging out with this guy all the time and he's like six, seven, like 330 pounds, oh like giant, like no one's going to tell him no, but I also lied about my age. So I was 15. I told him I was 18. I told everyone I was 18. Like, everyone thought I was 18. Yeah. Everyone thought I was a yeah. senior, and everyone thought I was 18. So he would, like, come pick me up from school, and I would, like, go hang out with him. And then it came out that I was younger, but we were already – we had been dating for, like, yeah. a while, and we were in love or whatever. And Six, seven? Yeah, six, seven. He was a giant. And you're not that tall. How tall no, are you? No, I'm 5'3". Yeah. yeah. That's a big difference. It was a huge difference. But he was, like, my protector. Yeah. You know, he, he was, like, safe. my safety. Yeah. Right? Like, even though he sold drugs, like, and, you know. Yeah. That life is super crazy. Like, there was some crazy stuff that happened. But, like, he would never let anything happen to me. And he would never yell at me. He never hit me. Never did any of that thing. Like, he was, like, just this big, gentle giant. Yeah. And... So I moved in with him because I got kicked out of that school. And then I got, well, I actually, so I overdosed on Xanax and I passed out in one of my classes and they couldn't wake me up and I scared them. And so I got expelled from that school. Then I got sent to an all-girls school and I somehow managed to skip from that school. And so they expelled me from that school. Then I was going to this like community high school. And at that point, my parents were like, they're going to go to jail. Because, like, they can't keep me in school and then, like, truancy yeah. and, like, all that stuff. So um, I was like, I'm just going to get myself emancipated. So I went. I got myself emancipated, moved in with my – we ended up getting married. But I moved in with my boyfriend. His name's Kevin. And his mom didn't even know I lived there. 
for probably six months. I would literally sneak into his window and like, just crazy to think about it now. But then like she found out and like everything was fine. But we ended up getting married. My my mom was like, How old were you when you got I married? I was 18. So he was 24. And the day before my wedding, my mom brought everything that we had gotten together for the wedding. And she goes, I can't go to your wedding. I don't approve of the marriage. And I'm like, what? She ended up going. But still, like, it was kind of a jerk thing to do. So we get married. And, like, things were good. Like, we were using a little bit. But it wasn't crazy. It was like it got – it ended up going there. But in the beginning, like, it wasn't that bad. I mean, that bad for me was, like, smoking some pot and taking, like, a Laura tab here and there. Maybe some cocaine on the weekends. Okay. I got pregnant two days after we got married. So I we had done ecstasy, and I thought that I was sick from the ecstasy. Mm-hmm. I had this, yeah. And I was like, so like two days later, I'm like still puking, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what is going on? I take a, a pregnancy test, and I'm pregnant. So I got married, literally got pregnant two days later on my honeymoon when I like did the, the calculation, and, you know, Whatever, I'm gonna have a baby. So he was still using the whole time though. And so I would get so mad and what was he using? Um, he smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. It was like a lot of weed and then cocaine and then ecstasy. He would do a lot of ecstasy. So I would just get so annoyed and like like trying not to do drugs, but I just burped. <laughs> <laughs> Starting over. <laughs> um when I was pregnant, I started smoking pot. I could not stop being sick. I was so sick, and I was throwing up all the time. So I started, honestly, I started smoking pot in the mornings. Like, I would take a hit of pot, and then I would be able to eat. And then I I did a couple Laura tabs here and there when I was pregnant, but nothing, nothing else, really. And then I had the baby. She was healthy. Everything was fine. Yeah. And then I had a baby. And I was 19, and I had a baby, and I had a husband, and yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. When you're 19. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So then um, we moved. He got into some stuff that I don't really want to repeat on here, but he, like, he was a drug dealer. Yeah. And so he did something, and we had to move to a different city. <laughs> And uh, my dad had a mattress company, and so we went from, well, we were in Bradenton, and we moved to Fort Myers, which is like two hours away. So we moved two hours away, like started over over there. There was a guy that worked for us, and he introduced me to Oxys, Oxycontin. Never in my life have I been so hooked on anything so quickly. Well, because of the weightlifting and the cheerleading and everything, like I had back injuries already. Mm-hmm. Um, so then someone was like, oh, you can just go to the doctor and get your own prescription. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go get an MRI. I get all this stuff. They're like, yep, you have three bulging discs here, here, and here. And you have all these things. And so I started getting tons of oxys. I would get oxys. I would get roxys. I would get methadone. Why they give you methadone? I don't even know. They would give me Xanax, everything, because I had anxiety, don't you know? Um, and yeah, it just started going downhill. I ended up cheating on my husband, um, moving out, got into an abusive relationship with this guy that I cheated on him with, like, was just like, keep the kid, bye, see you later. 
his parent, both of his parents, both of my husband's parents were living with us. And so I was just like, forget it. Like, this isn't even my house anymore. We moved them in with us. So I left. I literally, like, abandoned everyone. But it, the relationship got really toxic really quickly. The, the guy that I left my husband for. And so Kevin one day came to the house and he was like, you're leaving. I'm getting you out of here. And he literally like picked me up and took me out of that house. And then we moved back to Bradenton. But by then I started hating myself, you know, cause yeah. I'm like, I cheated on my husband. I abandoned my kid. And so I started just doing so many pills. Like, and you're addicted to opiates at that point. I'm addicted to yeah. opiates and now I'm addicted to Xanax. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I would stop taking the Xanax, I would have a seizure. So I was like in and out of the hospital for like having these seizures. And then I started doing Coke because I was always so down from the Xanax that I needed something to lift me up. Mm-hmm. And my daughter was like three. I was a, I was a horrible parent. Like I will be the first to admit that. Looking back now, I can say that because I'm not anymore. But yeah. I would like... I would put cereal in a bowl for her and then I would put milk in the like next to it in a cup and I would put it in the fridge so that when she woke up and she would say, Mommy, I'm hungry, I could say, Go to the fridge and get it yourself. I mean, at least I left food out, right? Like that's something that's positive, I guess. But yeah, I would just be so sick. Like I couldn't get up, I couldn't do anything. I so I started going to another doctor and then another doctor and then another doctor and before you know it, I'm going to like eight different doctors. Um And then I would have these seizures. So one day I passed out or I had a seizure. I honestly, I can't remember. She went to get help. She was like three. Mm -hmm. She went across the street to get help. The ambulance came, the the helicopter came. So she at three years old opened the door and went across. Opened the door, went across the street, said, my mommy needs help. Um, My husband had gone to the store for something. I was flopping around like a fish out in the front yard. The helicopter came, took me. They had to chemically induce me into a coma because I... A withdrawal. Yeah. So it was yeah. from not having Xanax. Actually, I think he went to go get Xanax is where he went. Mm. So my daughter was a hero. And she... Do they think you would have died had she not gotten help? Well, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Um Maybe, maybe not. But after that, I was, like, slow. Like, my brain was slowed down. Like, I was slurring my speech all the time. I was still taking drugs, though, so who knows? Who knows what the real reason was? But so she went to go stay. So she was in the paper as, like, little hero, whatever. Mm. Then she, I come home, like, a week later. She comes back home, and it happens again. So now she is not a hero. You are a piece of crap. Like... I was a piece of crap. Like, so she went across the street again? I don't remember. I don't honestly even know how it happened. Maybe she went across the street. I think there was, like, we were across from a school. So I think she was, like, crying, and, like, the person from the school came oh. over. I don't even know exactly what happened. But, yeah, so I went to jail that time. And I went to jail. He went to jail. My husband went to jail. He was also passed out in the front. And remind you that all of these were prescribed to us. Like, these were legit prescriptions from a doctor. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm just taking my pills as prescribed, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I was... What did you go to jail? Oh, uh, endangering? Child neglect. Child, yeah. Felony child neglect charge. So my husband also went to jail, but he had previous charges. 
And so he had to stay. I got out on bond after like a week and I went back to Georgia. And so my family tried to detox me. Who had your daughter? My mom did for a little while, but she could not handle having my kid and me being such a wreck. Yeah. So, and she had already raised seven kids. Yeah. And so, and there were still two, the twins were still at home in high school. And so she's like, I can't do it. So Kevin's mom took my oldest. And so, yeah, so she went to live with grandma and I was in Georgia and I wanted Kevin to get out of jail. And so it was like six months uh, that he was in jail. And so I, we went back to Florida and who's we? Me. Well, I went back to Florida, got Kevin out of jail, got a lawyer, got him out of jail. Me and Kevin and his mom and dad took my oldest to Disney and I was still using. And so he had been sober forever long and I was bringing pills around him. Of course, he's going to start doing them again. They get into a fight. Him and his dad get into a fight when we get back to their house. And so he's like. F you, F you, whatever. They, we leave. We go to my friend's house. I go to the doctor first because I have to have my pills, right? So I go to the doctor first. They can't fill all of our prescriptions. They can only fill the methadone and the Xanax, which is a deadly combination. Mm. So I don't take any of the methadone. I never had a thing for methadone. So he starts taking the methadone on the drive there. I'm like, why are you even taking that stuff? And so we get to my friend's house because no one will let us at their house. Because we are so, nobody wants us at their houses. Like, my parents don't want us. Like, I don't even know how I still had a car at that point. But we get to her house. He goes in the bathroom, locks the door. And I didn't realize that he had taken some of my pills. He had taken the Xanax. So he's in there with the water on, like, crushing up the Xanax to snort it. And I hear, like, the water running. And then I hear him, like, hit the ground, like a hard thump. And... He is 6'7", 330 pounds. Mm -hmm. And back then I was like maybe 130 pounds. And so I hear him hit the ground and I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, I can't feel my legs. And I'm like, what? Well, I'm going to call the ambulance. He's like, don't call anyone because I don't want to go back to jail and I don't want another CPS case opened up. So I'm like, fine, I won't. I won't do whatever. Just open the door. So I pull him out. He's like, will you pull me outside? He's like soaking wet. So from the water, I don't know why the water like was overflowing in the sink, but it was like he was running it and he couldn't turn it off and it was probably clogged drain or something. So I pull him out and he wants to go outside and smoke a cigarette. I'm like, fine. So I like changed his clothes for him because it was, it was like one of the coldest nights in Florida. Like, I don't know why it was so cold. And so I put him out there. He was like, I love you. I'm like, I love you. Um, he Wait, starts, you put him outside? Yeah. He wanted to smoke a cigarette outside. Oh, oh. I think honestly he knew he was dying. And he was scared and, like, didn't want me to see it or something. So he's like, take me outside. Because I think he was freaking out in his mind, but wouldn't tell me that. So, but he couldn't move his legs. So I had to drag him outside. So I was like, okay, so he's outside and he falls asleep, which was completely normal for our relationship because we were nodding off pretty much right. all the time. So he's, like, nodding out. I bring him back inside. I lay him on the floor right in front of me, prop his head up on a pillow, like on tilt to the side in case he, so he doesn't um, aspirate or asphyxiate or whatever. And I fall asleep. He's snoring. So he's snoring. I'm like, okay, he's sleeping. He's fine. Everything's fine. I'm going to go to sleep. I'll wake up tomorrow. Everything will be fine. 
I wake up like three hours later and he is like gray. Like, I don't even know what color that is. I, gray is like the best description that I can give. And I start like pounding on his chest and there's just fluid like coming out of his mouth. I know like to clear the airway, make sure that I ca- that's clear so that I can give CPR, all of those things. Like I knew how to do all of that, but I couldn't clear the airway. There was so much fluid. So I call the ambulance and I'm like, I think that my husband's dying. Um, they're like, no, honey, he's already dead. And how did they so know that? Because of what I was explaining to them, yeah. like the fluid coming out and that he was like, I don't even remember the color. Yeah. There was no blood flow. Um, they were like based on, and there's a lot of overdoses where I'm from. Right. So it's something that they're used to. And so they came and they, they shocked him and he was dead. And that was like devastating because he was like my best friend from like 15. I was, I was maybe 22 or 23 at that time. And yeah, so I just lost it. I didn't care about anything. Now my husband's dead. I have, don't have custody of my kid. No one will let me live with them. So I, I just, I don't even know what I did at that point. I just ran, I was just staying with whoever I could stay with, doing whatever I could do, um, going to the doctors, just like not wanting to live. Like I started cutting really bad and then I did something, which is so dumb. I got married again three months after my husband died. Oh, oh. Because that's going to fix everything. How, this is how crazy I was. So I thought that if I got married and had a husband and had a place to live, that they would see that I had my shit together and would give me back custody of my kid. So who had Kate? So Katie was still with her grandparents. She was with her grandparents. Yeah. She was with her grandma. Yeah. So I'm like married to this dude. Yeah. Like who's the dude? Okay. So the, <laughs> the guy... Okay, so I used to date, this is a little confusing, so if this doesn't make sense, just whatever. Um, So I was dating this guy named Chris when I was in high school. I just remembered where I met him. So Chris introduced me to Kevin, who I married. Chris had a little brother. I ended up marrying Chris's little brother. (laughs) (laughs) Like courthouse wedding. So crazy, yeah. My courthouse wedding. Did he propose and you were like... I don't even remember. (laughs) I was so messed up. Like, I don't even remember how that went. Like, why would that sound like a good idea? Like, your husband just died three months ago. You are out of your mind. Well, that's why it would sound like a good idea. He just died. So, oh my gosh. So I married this guy. He thinks that he's doing me a favor, even though he was using with me, that he needs to call my CPS caseworker and say, she needs to go to treatment. Oh, boy. So he gets me into a state-funded crap treatment center in Bradenton, and I get in there. I start crying because I haven't been sober since he's died. Like, I haven't cried. I haven't processed. I haven't done any of that stuff. I get to the treatment center. They put me in psych, the psych ward, say that I'm bipolar, say that I'm all these things, don't properly diagnose me, put me on these meds. When I get over to the substance abuse treatment side, because it's all in one building, they, I start crying, right? I'm like on the phone with someone and I start crying. They're like, one more outburst like that, we're going to send you back to the psych ward. And I'm like, okay. I mean, looking back at it now, I'm like, if any of my clients did that, I'd be like, okay, good, you're crying. Like, yeah. let's yeah. process the trauma. Yeah. Um, but they were like, you can't act like that here. If you need to go back to psych, we'll send you back to psych. So 
what do I do while I'm in um, treatment? I do whatever any other good addict does. I meet a guy. So I meet another guy in there. Yeah. Please tell me you didn't marry him. No. No, that's the guy that's on intervention, though. Oh. Yeah. So um, so I go through treatment. They told me if I had 30 days, I could petition to get my kid back. I get kicked out at 28 days. Oh. They also, I mean, I wasn't doing any work, um, but they told me that I was a lost cause and I was never going to amount to anything. Yeah, and that do that. I just am like, really? I should just give up, you know? Yeah. So... That wasn't helpful. So I left. <laughs> and I was, I was going to be in a relationship with this guy, and I'm still married to the other guy, and my husband oh, had God. just died like five months ago at this point. And, uh, yeah. So this guy. Did you divorce Chris's little brother? Not yet. Okay. So <laughs> I'm still, yes, married and um, now living with this other guy that I'm taking in now from treatment because I have my place. He doesn't have a place, and he's running from the cops and all of this crap. So. I, he teaches me how to shoot up. So I'm like, oh, I'll, well, first I was like, oh, I'll never do that. That's Mm -hmm. disgusting. That's dirty. I don't do that. I only take what's prescribed by the doctor. (laughs) Um, so I started shooting up. Never had a quicker downward spiral in my life. Yep. Same. Literally six months. Yep. And within that six months, my mom did the video for intervention. Intervention came out. Why well, started shooting up, lost everything, like no car now, no job, no house, no kids, yep. no husband, no other husband, no, <laughs> you know, got a new boyfriend from rehab though. And he was telling me like, don't do it. Don't do whatever they're filming. Don't do it. Don't do it. They're going to take you away from me. They're going to, it's probably something like intervention. They're going to take you. And I'm like, I was like, what if it is? What if it is? What if it is? And I get to go to a good rehab. Hi, I'm Peter Loeb, CEO and co-founder of Lion Rock Recovery. We're proud to sponsor The Courage to Change, and I hope you find that it's an inspiration. I was inspired to start Lion Rock after my sister lost her own struggle with drugs and alcohol back in 2010. Because we provide care online by live video, Lion Rock clients can get help from the privacy of home. We offer flexible schedules that fit our clients' busy lives. And of course, we're licensed and accredited, and we accept most private health insurance. You can find out more about us at lionrockrecovery.com or call us for a free consultation, no commitment, at 800-258-6550. Thank you. So like you knew you needed help and you wanted help. I wanted help, but I was so scared because... I went to that last place and they were like, don't have an outburst like that. And I had gone to like Salvation Army or whatever, which which is a great place. But like I had some severe childhood trauma. Yeah. And so I needed to work on those core issues before I could fix myself. Yeah. Like I couldn't just be raw and sober. Yep. Like I needed to treat the like molestations and then like abuse and all of those things. Like those formed me into this person that the reason why I was using and then my kid being taken away and my husband dying in my arms and me not calling the ambulance and like all of those things like I and me being a cheater and like I hated myself yeah and so I could not stay sober without proper help and treatment's too expensive like who can afford sixty thousand dollars a month who can afford 30 when you're a low bottom gutter yeah you know yeah addict with no insurance and my parents were going to pay for treatment. Why would they pay for treatment when I've gotten kicked out of five treatment centers already? Yeah. Like, why would they take that chance? 30,000 is a lot. So, so 
intervention came. I ended up saying, yes, I'll go to treatment. I went to Hope by the Sea in San Juan Capistrano. And I almost, I tried to get kicked out. Like, I was absolutely crazy. I was probably one of the most difficult clients that they've ever had. Like, I still, when I go there, they still tell stories about how horrible I was. <laughs> like, I would go to group and I would not agree with something that someone was talking about. And I would walk out or I would try to fight somebody, but I wouldn't ever put my hands on them. So it wasn't like an actual, I couldn't, they wouldn't kick me out for that. Also, I think like being on intervention, they do a 90-day follow-up. They kind of had to be a little bit more yeah, yeah. Um, relaxed with me than with other clients. But man, like, but they, I would want to leave every day. Every day I was like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I don't want to be here. And they'd be, <laughs> they would talk me back into yeah. like staying. Yeah. And there were two ladies there that really, really helped me. And they, and then I got into a therapist and he like, the craziest therapy I've ever done, like writing letters and burning things, and like did you guys do all psychodrama? These weird, we did psychodrama. Yeah, we did family sculpting. Yeah. yeah, all of these things, and I had those outbursts again. I cried when I started crying there because I went in there hardcore, not going to do anything. Yeah, like don't talk to me. I hate you. Yeah, I was. Because I was pissed. Because I hated yourself. Well, I hated myself, and I felt like I had been manipulated. Yeah. And like, take it, you know, like they didn't tell me that I was doing intervention. Like, just tell me. Right. You don't have to lie to me for months or whatever. Because it was like a month long process, maybe even two or three months before I got on to the taping part. So I was just angry. And so you were angry, but you said yes. I was angry, but I said yes. Yeah. So, like, I wanted the help, but I was scared. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I was fighting it because I don't yeah. want you to see me cry. Yeah. Because I don't want you to think I'm weak. Well, and you probably didn't want to start crying because you didn't know if it would stop. Well, I cried for three days straight. So, after my psychodrama, because I wasn't going to do anything. I was yeah. like, no, screw, and you, for, screw and, you. And psychodrama, just to clarify, psychodrama is where you role play your trauma in a way that's safe and in a safe environment and with someone who's trained to do it. And it sounded to me, I don't know how it sounded to you, but when I, they told me what we were going to do, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Well, so for me, I was so fragile. Yeah. I was like so fragile and they weren't, they were a little worried that I was going to like start fighting people or whatever. <laughs> so we didn't go into like my actual trauma then, this was just like, let's break her ice. Like, yeah. let's get her working. The so ice. they played my addiction. So oh, wow. she, I was sitting in the middle and, you know, the everyone in your group is sitting around you in a circle. And this woman, oh, my gosh, she like, she's like a, like my angel. She, but she was this like big African-American woman and like got right up in my face and she's like, well, I don't think I should say this on, on here, but she was like, I know that what you've done for me, I know the people that you've slept with for me. I mean, it was a way more graphic than that, but right in my face. And I just started crying, like bawling, crying. And I like ran out of the room. I literally cried for three days straight. So they put me on an antidepressant. That didn't work. They put me on another antidepressant. I was on two antidepressants plus all the other whatever stabilization meds. And Finally, I stopped crying, and then I could start to do therapy, and then I wasn't such a jerk to everyone. I was still over – I would talk the whole group, though, and think that my stuff was way more important than them, and don't you know who I am and who I think I am? And But then I, like, 
started going to meetings. I, like, got a sponsor. Like, they did not let me go. Like, I tried to get kicked out, and they would not kick me out. And so then I just started doing the thing. I started doing my step work. Um, There was a guy. Oh, okay. So that guy that taught me how to shoot up actually followed me out to California, was homeless in California, waiting for me to get out of treatment, came to visit me. I had a crush on someone at the treatment center. We... He was a client, but then he started working there, and, like, he was like, I will never be involved with you. You are batshit crazy. <laughs> um, I will never, ever, ever be in a relationship with you. And I would be like, I'll wait. And I remind you, I still have the husband yeah. and the crazy boyfriend that the followed homeless. me. Yeah. yeah, the homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> the homeless guy. And now I'm, like, you know, searching for my new Next. soulmate, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, And so we... He Okay, so the guy comes to visit me in treatment. <laughs> he has dirty urine. Like, he brought fake pee with him. My husband, now Aaron. Aaron is the one who drug tests him. And he's like, I think Wait, you're... so the guy who works there, whose name is Aaron, okay. he drug tests the, guy who the worked, homeless yes, dude. Okay. He drug tests the, my homeless boyfriend. So, <laughs> and he's like, dude, you have fake pee. Like, I know it. Let me go in there with you and watch you pee. And so he pees again. Because the temperature was off. Yeah. And so he pees again and he fails. And he gets so mad. He, like, storms out, spits on the window of Hope by the Sea. Like, I'm mortified. But that day, I, they were like, are you going to leave with him? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to go do, no way. Like, I'm going to stay here. Don't worry. And so that was the day that I got really serious about yeah. treatment. And, um... <laughs> Yeah. So I started doing, I was in NA. I did NA. I started with NA and I started doing my steps and it's just. So let's break that down for a second. You know, we talk a lot about, we t- a lot of people talk about program and, and AA, NA and all the different mm-hmm. an- anonymous programs. So you and I are both drug addicts, right? And right. But we both at this point in our lives, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, are, are in Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And what is it that you think, like, I know a lot of people are like, well, I, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. And that was something right. I really struggled with. Yeah. Was that there for you, which is why you started with NA? And, like, can you talk about making that transition or why why you made that transition? Yeah, so... I, well, my, the reason why I did it is probably not the reason why most people do it. I started going to AA because the person, the boy that I liked. No, that makes complete sense to me. Did AA. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 100%. he wouldn't date me until I finished my steps. And he was like gung ho about AA. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. You know, like he didn't know that. Yeah. But I was like, okay. So oh, I started yeah. going to all these AA meetings and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I got a sponsor. I started doing my step work. I started doing everything. <laughs> I like, but the craziest thing happened. I started to actually like myself. And so then I This stopped. was in AA instead of NA? This was AA instead of NA. Because so, I was going, going to NA, to NA okay. for like the social part still. Right, right, right. So I was going there for like the social part. I tried to do my steps, but I wasn't really like their book is big and it's a lot of work. And I was like, I'm not going to do all that. So I went. And because I had been in treatment so many times, I did steps one, two, and three like probably 15 <laughs> times. So when I found the sponsor in AA, she's like, look, we're not even going to do that all over again. She's like, let's just keep it moving. Yeah. So she got me to my four-step. I went to a four-step workshop. I did all of that at the workshop. I did my fifth step with her. And it was like instant relief. Like 
I started meeting up with her and doing step work, and then I started sponsoring people. So now that I'm done with my steps, this guy wants to date me now. So now I'm like, so everything's coming together. I'm getting visitation with my kid. I would ride the train to go see her because I didn't have a car or a license so or how anything long, like that. How old is she and how long did you go without seeing her? So she was, I want to say, gosh. She was three when you were having the seizure and she yeah, was the hero. Three, four. So I want to say she was about six. Oh, wow. But I... I would see her like a cup, but I what think she, I went a solid year. California? So my, so Kevin's dad, my husband's dad, he died. So Kevin died, his dad died, and his grandfather died all within the same year. Oh my gosh. So Diane was just here all alone. And so her daughter lived in California. And so she, her daughter was like, you guys come and live with me. So she opened up her home to to Katie and had a room for her and a room for Diane and Katie went there and you know Orange County and started living there and was like stable and so I was like good yeah you know she's in a good place I was still like I want to see my daughter and I'm good but then like after like going there and visiting and her visiting me while I was in treatment at like 30 days and she was five because I remember she goes um I think you told me the story I had a chip, and she goes, "Um, Mommy, are you done taking pills? And I said, yeah, I'm done. Don't you see this chip? And it said, um, I showed it to her, and she goes, Mommy, this says just for today. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that every day. And, oh, my God, I'm going to start crying. And But the first thought was like, oh, my gosh, she can read. Like, I had missed so much. Like, I didn't even know that my kid could read. And so she like, she reads that. And so now I have like a more of a purpose to stay sober. So I start like initiating relationship with her and like going to see her as much as I can. But our reunification process was super slow. It was really gradual. I started working in treatment. I started um, running the sober living. Do you think that you could have gone straight into 12 step program? Like, no. And so the value for you, because this was my experience too, which was that program, 12-step program is, has become, you know, a huge, if not my life, but I couldn't have gotten there without the treatment portion. I couldn't. I had to, like the chemicals in my brain, first of all, from all of the drug use were so messed up that I couldn't function Like, I couldn't grasp anything that anyone was telling me. I had to be medically stabilized first. Yeah. That was step one. Step one is stop having seizures so that your brain can clear. And then I started doing the trauma therapy because 12-step program and trauma therapy and medication are three different parts to my sobriety. Right. And like, but I have to have all three of those parts or else I cannot function. And so a lot of times people miss one or the other, or they're like over-medicated or they're under-medicated or they're not talking to a therapist and they're trying to get it all from AA, but it has to work together. Yeah. It doesn't, nothing, there's not just like one thing that fixes someone and, and it's different for everyone. Right. You have to have your individualized, right. So it's just like someone might not need trauma therapy, but they need a counselor. Yeah. Or someone might not need any of that and they can just do AA, but it, it just depends on the person. Every person is different. And that's why like this disease is so horrible because the same treatment doesn't actually work for everyone. Like some people do better with 
uh, celebrate recovery, like Christian program. Yeah. Some people do better with like a, a Buddhist program, yeah. like whatever it is, but there's got to be some spiritual element to it. Right. So right. whatever spiritual, and that's so hard when you first get sober. Oh my gosh. Because oh my gosh. I hated God so much. Yeah. I was, well, I was just straight like, up didn't believe it. Yeah. I, I was, was like, just this is like, really ridiculous. I was like, who, what kind of God would put me through all that stuff? Yeah. Like what kind of God kills my husband? What kind of God, like why? Yeah. The spiritual part is like a big deal. And that's what I found in AA because I was so mad at the church and I was so mad at like Muslims and Islam and the church and everyone that would tell me like their religion's the right way. And I'm like, no. What did you think when you walked into an AA room and they said God? So I was like, I'm not doing that part. I was like, I'm just not going to do that part. Yeah. I'm not going to believe in your too. God. I'm like, I'm yeah. just going to not do that part. Yeah, I just and ignored so, it. But there was someone that was like, I'll meet you right where you're at. She's like, why don't you use the ocean? Yep. So I use the ocean. Yeah. And like, and honestly, how that happened is we were at the beach and I saw a giant wave knock down a little kid. And I was like, oh, that's what I'll use because I know that that can knock me on my butt. Yeah. That's something bigger than me. And so I just started like positive coming in and negative going out, like with the waves, like mm-hmm. rolling with the waves. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like I had that little bit of you know, hope that there may be something bigger than me that really wasn't trying to screw up my life and that there's a reason why I went through all of these things. And I mean, now I know that reason, but it was, it was tough, you know, but getting to that point, once I was there, like things started to get better. How long before you had full custody back? I think it was three years. Okay. So So you got her back. How old was she when she was So she was about, yeah, I think she was, she was seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe seven. I I don't know. We did like a slow transition, like I said. So she went to, she was at grandma's full week and I would go visit her on the weekends. And then she went to my house on the weekends. And then we went to flipping around to my house during the week and grandma's on the weekends. And then... I mean, now we moved, so it's it's different. But we tried to do it as slow as possible, number one, because I wasn't sure if I could handle it. And, like, I didn't – I was scared to be a parent. And it all worked out. You know, the slow transition, I think, is really good, and it's healthy. And it's it was better for her because then she could learn to trust slowly. And, and it was just great. And they – when I finished my case plan, my case plan was in Florida. And – they had never done a transfer to the state of California. And I would call lawyers and they're like, well, you have to have a, an attorney in Florida to do that. And the people in Florida would be like, no, you have to have an attorney in California. Nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah. And they wanted like $10,000 a piece. And I'm like, forget it. I went online. I found all the paperwork that I needed to find. I filled it all out on my own. I sent it. I mailed it to Florida. I said, I want you to reopen my case. I had finished my case plan. When they transferred it from Cali- from Florida to California, the judge in California, ju- the California judge was like, you completed an impossible case plan. He was like, they literally put so much stuff on here because they didn't want you to have your kid back. Like, it was crazy. Even when I was sober, it took me three years sober to complete my case plan Yeah, from Florida. They said only 3% of people that get that case plan will complete it. And... It's just so sad because, like, they're not giving these parents, like, the tools that they need to get their kids back. Yeah. They're just like, oh, you're a drug addict. Bye. Yeah. You know, let's take your kids. But, like, the kids aren't getting a stable environment because they're just pulled in and out of foster care. Like, help the parents to get better. Yeah. Which California did. Florida was not that way. So you started working in treatment and 
and now you're married, you have two little ones plus your oldest daughter. How did you meet your current husband? <laughs> <laughs> so he third time's a charm, baby. Yeah. So runs in the family, actually. So <laughs> he was working. Well, we were both actually at the same treatment center. He did not want anything to do with me, though. And then he started working there. And then I started working there. And then I started doing my steps. And then we became like really good friends, super good friends. But I was obsessed with him. Um, (laughs) and you know, the beginning of our relationship was him breaking up with me a lot because he wanted, he still had feelings for his ex. And so like we would start to get close and he'd be like, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And he would like break up with me. And so I would be devastated. And then we would get back together and then he'd be like, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to move in with you. I'm never, you know, all of these things. And checking them off the list as they happen, he finally was like, okay, I'll agree to have a baby with you. And I was like, okay, I'll settle for that because I wanted more kids. And But then I was like, I can't have a baby without being married because my older kid will be like, oh, that's that's an okay thing to do. And, right. you know, it's, yeah. it, it's fine, but, like, it's harder to yeah. raise a family on your own when you're not, like, together and married or whatever. So we ended up planning a wedding date. And then I got pregnant. And so our wedding was supposed to be in Lake Tahoe, November, October 9th or something. And the baby's due date was October 24th. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So we went to Vegas. So we went to Vegas. (laughs) We had like a bunch of people come. It was super fun, though. I was pregnant. I was very pregnant. (laughs) And yeah, so we got married and then we... And he's sober a long time, right? Yeah, he's six months ahead of me. Okay, okay, cool. So he has eight years already. And what has your sobriety journey been like? Like what, I mean, we talked a bit about what are the main things in your recovery, like the the different components. You know, you, one thing I want to touch on is like sober parenting because you have a lot of experience just in the gamut. And I think a lot of people, you know, like, really st- sober parenting is, sober is a really parenting is no joke yeah yeah it is ridiculous so like we were talking about this right yeah and you deal with so talk about <laughs> we were talking about how like we are like you were you're you were you know have your drug of choice is is opiates and xanax but like now Now I just want a glass of wine. Right. Right. Like my kids. Yes. So like I will see on Facebook or social media Mm -hmm. or wherever and they're like, oh, you know, had a long day and I'm going to have a glass of wine now that my little ones are sleeping. Mm -hmm. Like I don't get to have that. Yeah. I get to like, oh, yeah, you're going to do a little prayer and meditation now. I'm going to do some deep (laughs) effing breathing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like let me write a letter to my anger. Yeah. (laughs) Right (laughs) now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's different. It's and it's interesting because I, every woman I talk to who is sober deals with the mommy wine culture. Like it's it's very pervasive. Mm-hmm. And I I find it interesting that we have normalized this. And I think the reason is that that the culture of self-care is not there. So the wine is a really fast way to give you that relief. Mm. And when in reality, like we're over overworked, right? Like that's, that's the issue. The issue is that we're seeking relief. Well, we have to 
do all of it. Mm-hmm. Like as like working moms, like oh, yeah. like we work, but we're still ex- and I saw like a meme about this the other day. Like as working moms, like we're still expected yep. to do everything at the house yep. and work full time, but still parent like we don't work full time. So there's a saying, um, work work like you don't have any kids, parent like you don't work. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, yep, that's real. And it and it's there's the mental I was talking to my husband about this. There's a mental piece to it. So like my I can have my husband, I can say, okay, like you're gonna you're gonna do this list of things, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna pack the kids' lunch, you're going to take the trash, like all these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like here's your thing. But I'm still run like I'm still organizing the list of things that needs to get done. It is still mental right. space and in at my night. Head. At night, like when you're laying in bed, you're like, what did I not tell him to do tomorrow right. for if I leave? Right. And then like as I'm going through right. my day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot to. And like he's super helpful. Like, right. Like, no, it has nothing to like, do with he'll that. He'll get up. He'll like do the laundry. He like gets up with the baby. He right. like does all the stuff. But like still in my mind, I'm like, my heart and my head are back with the kids. And so I'm like constantly like... Did I remember to do this? Did I remember to do that? What am I going to make for dinner? Did I get that at the store? Did I put that on the list? Did I? Yeah. It's draining. Yeah. Yeah. It's really draining. draining. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm thinking about, I'm, you know, he may make dinner. He may do all these things, but I'm making, I know what size clothes they wear. I'm making Mm -hmm. sure that they're, that the diapers are stocked, the toilet paper. I'm making sure that the food that they actually eat is there. And also that that food has the right nutrition because Mm -hmm. I've researched the nutrition because blah, 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 blah. And it's like. Even if he's the most helpful person ever, right. it's all there. Whatever he needs to be helpful right. is all there because I am doing that. Right. And that it is a it is renting space in our heads. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's a real piece of that that takes a whole new level of sobriety. I don't know if you experienced this, but like after having the twins, it's like my sobriety has changed because I used to be able to just drop what I was doing or step away. Go to a meeting. Yeah, go to a meeting, call someone. I mean, sometimes it's like, I'd like to call someone, but my children are crapping on the floor. And then like you get into the crapping on the floor thing and then you forget that you were supposed to call someone. So then like now it's midnight. Because you're drained. And you're like, I don't even want to talk to anyone right now. Yeah, yeah. And And then the day goes by. But then it's good to have people like you because I know that I've used you mm-hmm. where, like, I can text you and be like, dude, <laughs> my life is crazy <laughs> right now. And, like, I know that if I don't, like, if you text me something and I don't respond within three days or something like that, you're like, that's normal because oh, yeah, she has a yeah. million kids. And, like, <laughs> you're not, like, offended or anything like that. that so oh, I, yeah, think, I think that the people that I associate with now are different than the ones that I did when I was first sober. Because when I was first sober, I was like, yeah, I'll go to six meetings a day. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to all these AA events oh, yeah, and sure this we'll and that. Yeah, sure we'll go to dinner. Sure we'll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like fellowship. And now I'm like, which meeting has babysitter? Right. I need to go to that. And there's one. There's literally one. Yeah. So like I've had to rearrange my schedule, my husband's schedule. So like mm-hmm. he'll go to a meeting on the days that I don't go to a meeting yep, and then the I'll go to like a babysitting meeting, but I don't really like the babysitting right, meeting. That's, yeah. It's like, I'm not getting what I need. And I've also noticed that throughout my sobriety, the meetings that I need are different. Right. So like I'll get bored or like I need to switch it up a little better. Like sometimes I need meetings where people have had more like 
real life stuff and not like everything's rainbows and unicorns and perfect and, and shiny or whatever. And like, I need like real people with like their real stories that I've like gone through it and like are coming out. And sometimes these, you know, it's just, it's hard to find those things because you can't try all of them. Right. Where before, and then I moved. So then I moved to a new place and like, we opened this IOP and a sober living. And like now, now we have a business. <laughs> we have three kids. We moved to a different city. I have no family here. All of my family is in the South. And I have to still find a meeting. Right. And I have to find a new sponsor. And I have to do all these. But I don't get as many opportunities that I used to. And then I start to feel like, am I just making excuses? Right. Which, I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, they sound legitimate. I think it doesn't actually matter whether they're excuses or right. not because it's what has to be done. And, and, and the reason is, like, your experience, like, something that's always touched me about your experience is because it is what mine would look like. Mm. Because I'm also, like, opiates are my, you know, also were my drug of choice. And so that is what it would look like for me is mm-hmm. my kids experiencing that and, you know, I think when I think about when I thought about using before, it was like, I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to fail out of school. I'm right. going to whatever I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the things I would lose were I'm not saying they weren't important, but they weren't my children. Right. And now the stakes are so and you this is the stakes are so high. Like that's what's so terrifying to me is like right. I have this disease in my head mm-hmm. that wants to be part of mommy wine culture, that wants to like go and do all these things. It looks be, good. Yeah, it looks really good. But the stakes are so high. They've never been this high. But I can't be like mommy wine culture. Like no, I can't I'm go yeah. have like one sip of wine and be like, oh, I don't like the taste of it and put it down and then carry on to the next whatever they're doing. <laughs> like me, I'm like, we don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't even know what <laughs> they're even doing. I don't even know what that looks like. Like wine tasting, I've never been because my stupid wine ridiculous. tasting would be like, wine okay, drinking. let's have a, a shot of tequila yeah. instead. Like this yeah. isn't working. They don't even fill the glasses and all then, the way. It's very frustrating. And then I would be like running around naked somewhere. For sure. And then like wake yeah. up in someone's car because yeah. I don't know what happened. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't. I don't get well, to the whole do word that. tasting is the part that confuses yeah, me. I don't get that. Yeah, like you, t- I don't. You take and then you spit it out. Do you or swallow like, it? You can swallow, <laughs> but it's like meant to taste. Like you're, like mm. I don't drink for the taste. I don't like the taste. I, d- I hold my nose and I gulp. That's like my I've thing. learned to like the taste because the, I associate the taste with what's about to happen. <laughs> I'm just like I'm gonna hold my nose and chug it as fast yeah. as I can that's to taste. just just that's yeah. that's wine tasting, right? <laughs> Is that how I, you do it? I've only been one time and they didn't fill the glasses all the way full, and I got really drunk, and everybody was. Is being there like super, a tequila tasting? No, that's what I. Oh yes, do. they do have those, but that's what that's I about. Yeah, that's that's. But I tequila think they floor. do actually spit that. Out. I don't know. I'm so like this is so not my yeah. expertise on. But that. I see, mean, just the fact that this is where my head goes with this yeah. tells me that even though I in my mind I'm a drug addict, like this is not normal. But that's what's crazy is like you're like at this space in your at this place in your life. The I what it really comes down to for me and and I think for you, I'll go on a limb and speak for you in this situation is in our heads. 
alcohol is less destructive. Totally. And so when we fantasize or when we're like, oh, God, I wish I could have that, Mm -hmm. we know that, like, we can't really fantasize (laughs) about putting a needle in our arm because, like, Like, that's that's, bad. Yeah. Like, Like, that's taboo. Yeah, we have, we have, uh, we have. We've rode that. Yeah, that that train has left the station, right? (laughs) But then it's like. But But no one looks at a mom that's had a wine tasting and is like, oh, you're an alcoholic. Yeah. They look at you putting. But if I have a needle in my arm, like, that's not acceptable. Yeah, come on. Yeah, exactly. But I think our head is like telling us we need a break and it goes to alcohol. And I think that's that's so important to remember that alcoholism, like, I I always say I hate the term alcoholism because it's just ism. It's like it'll attach to whatever. It is cunning, baffling, powerful, right? It is sneaky. It is, Mm -hmm. it's going to appear in places that are, you know, taking the opportunity. And that's what, because I had the struggle with like, why am I an alcoholic? But I'm not, but what was explained to me was, it's not about that you drink alcohol. It's that anything that you put into your mind or your body, it it turns into a craving or it turns into like you wanting more or it's trying, you're using it to cope with life, whatever it is. And like we do that and our brains that are like going 500 miles an hour all the time Mm -hmm. and like we just make bigger deals out of everything, like something so small could happen and like our whole world's going to crash down and we think of like the worst and everything and it, it just doesn't stop and we just need something to shut it up and that is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you are welcome here. And they come here, be with us. And yeah, I'm still there. How do you parent a 13-year-old and a 13-year-old girl and still manage your own sobriety? Like, how do you manage the fear of parenting and also your own sobriety? Well, I have help. I don't do it by myself. And when I try to do it by myself, it's horrible. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. Like I, I moved to like a town where there is nobody and there were no meetings and there were, I mean, there were, but whatever. Um, I, it wasn't. It's hard to beat SoCal. Eh? It, yeah. Like Southern California is just insane. Like 10,000 meetings a week here. So um, there were like five a week where yeah. I was. And, and so you don't get a lot of people to feed you. And so I was pretty much like doing this by myself for two years and not having anyone. I mean, I had my my Orange County girls. I had my sober contacts in Orange County, but nobody was with me where I was. And so being alone and like not I had like a slight mental breakdown. Honestly, like I had to go to the hospital and get taken off of work. I was pregnant. I I couldn't manage it. Like, I couldn't. And so then I moved to a new town where I am now. And it's, I got a new sponsor. And I still do therapy. And I do, like, all of these things. And my life's getting better again. And now I'm getting established where I am. And I feel like it's home. And I'm rebuilding my support network. And, like, the support network is so important to have people that you can lean on. Because, like, parenting is hard and your kids are not perfect like I don't care who you are your kids aren't perfect they're never going to be perfect but that's part of like learning and growing is like making mistakes but me not getting resentful at my kids is the hardest part I think because Mm -hmm. I see my kids doing things and I'm like I know that that's a bad choice 
and telling them, that's a bad choice. Don't do that. And then them doing it anyways and getting hurt. And then I get mad at them because yeah. I'm like, I told you, but we don't listen. I didn't listen to my parents. Right. Did you listen to your parents? Not at all. Yeah. And no. so I just. But I get that. I get that. Letting you, go is the hardest. And and one thing that I really admire about your recovery and, and your parenting is that you have, a th- you know, you, you have professional help that help that helps you parent that helps you tells you like okay meet her where she is and you know people always say to me and you know since you're sober and in the industry I'm sure you've heard this too is like well you'll know what to do that your children are what do they say like your because I always joke like oh two alcoholics you know have kids and um and like oh well you'll be much better prepared than we were or you'll know what to do and I always think to myself like no it's going to take shape in a totally different way. And I'm also going to be da- battling and trying to deal with my own recovery. And I don't know how to do those two things. Yeah. It's not that. So in my experience, it's not that you know what to do because I didn't know what to do, but I knew how to call for help. Yes. Okay. And so I knew how to get in touch with resources. I would just call people. I called and I called and I called and I called until I found someone that had the right answers for me. And like, you'll know what the right answer is, but I didn't know the answer. I had to find it and I, and not everything works. So I just tried a lot of things. Like she was really struggling and, but I did. I I just kept calling and someone would be like, no, we can't take adolescents. We can't help adolescents. There's no therapy for adolescents because I was a screwed up parent when she was growing up. So she has trauma stuff that she had to work on. There were no people that worked with children. Right. And so that was really hard, but I didn't stop. Right. I just kept looking for the answer and looking. And then you know what? It worked out. And for just for right now, for this moment, for today, like she's doing really well. And but we still have professional help. We have professional help. I have non-professional help. I have support. I have all of these different places that I know when shit hits the fan, I can call these people for help. And like when I can't be a good parent, there's other people that will step in to like have my back. And when I don't have my crap together, like my husband's there. And like we have a role at my house both of us cannot be crazy at the same time. <laughs> There's only room yeah. for one crazy. There's only room for one. So if he's like having it like a hard time with life right then, I have to step up and be that stable parent. And then when I'm having a hard time, he's got to step up. And let me tell you, I have a lot more hard times <laughs> than he does. <laughs> so I'm usually, yeah, he's also a lot more pregnancies than he yeah, does. Yeah, so. pregnancies rough. Yeah, pregnancy. What about pregnancy and sobriety? Pregnancy and sobriety is <laughs> insane. Next so they, I turn into a psycho. Like literally, I hate my husband. Me too. Like hate him. I remember we like, talked about this. Yeah, I'm we, like, it's why are pregnancy, you breathing? Pregnancy. <laughs> pregnancy. It's like, called pregnancy can rage. Can you go in another yeah. room and yeah. breathe before I shove yeah. a pillow in your face? Yeah, like, I had that too. I'm like, did you just swallow? <laughs> Because <laughs> some people get really, really emotional. They'll cry at any, and I got livid. I got at one point. At one point, we were in a fight. I have no idea why. And I was like, 
I'm going to go have the twins in NorCal. I'm taking them to NorCal. I'm going to go have them at Stanford at my parents' house. And you're going to see them through plexiglass. And he's like, he goes, why am I going to prison? Said I was getting a divorce. <laughs> I remember I was like, "You probably that's bad timing, girlfriend. Just keep keep. You need a warm body." I was like, "I was like, I'm gonna get a divorce," and you're like, "Well, who's gonna be there?" I'm just like, "Someone will love me in all my pregnancy. Like, I'm still beautiful. Oh my gosh, I don't know, but I was crazy, and like, I was still crazy after I had the baby up until like two months ago. <laughs> I mean, I'm still crazy, but like." You know, I don't say that we're going to get a divorce anymore. <laughs> like, we're working things out. But, man, I can't believe he's still around. <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Why are well, you still here? It, well, it is. It's really hard to, it's really hard to, like, this is was my experience. I'm laying, so my husband, I'm pregnant. My husband's laying next to me. We go to sleep every night. And every day I wake up a bit fatter and bigger <laughs> and, like, smellier and more disgusting and nothing happens to him so for nine months every day I am transforming into some form of large disgusting pumpkin and nothing has happened to him like they love us through it and you know what's so funny though okay so I was grow my belly was growing and I so I was like not wanting to take my shirt off or anything in front of him and I'm like getting dressed and, like, you know, the towel doesn't really fit around you anymore. And so, like, half of my stomach's hanging on. And he goes, oh, look at how cute. You're getting stretch marks. Oh, and I'm that like, would have been a punch to the face. I'm like, what did you just say to me? <laughs> but, like, in his mind, like, that's cute. Like, I'm growing his child. <laughs> like, to him, it's, like, a beautiful thing. To me, I'm like, ew, I'm gross, fat, ugly, disgusting. But to him, he's like... We created life. Yeah. Or whatever. And I'm like, you. why are you looking at me? Yeah. Did you just look at my stretch? <laughs> I have stretch. I can't even see them. Dude, I didn't know. So this this is what happened. I My belly was so big that I didn't know I was getting stretch marks because it was literally. That's what I'm saying. It was, I couldn't yeah, see it. couldn't them. see it. They're like underneath yeah, the underneath, belly. Underneath mm-hmm. the belly. So, so I said to Doc, I was like, I'm just really relieved. <laughs> I was like, oh no, are they there? <laughs> and then I had him check and he just was like, nope. Uh, well, a, l- a little. <laughs> like just, and I'm, then, then you go through the thing where you're like trying to look in the mirror. And you're or like I would get my phone. Yeah. I would try to like record it because I can't see the phone under my belly. So I'd hit record and I would like go down and I'm like. Oh God! Why? What? There's a reason why we can't see that. <laughs> it's so true. It's, a couple of times I got stuck in the bathtub. Like, I did too. I was like, humiliating time of my entire life. Oh my so true. So often, and he was like, "How is it possible that you can't get up?" I'm like, "Trust me." I would do anything because not to be have, stuck like this. Well, you can't use any of your core either. And you're like, core. This. Yeah. 
giant belly of but you had two babies in there. And six I <laughs> couldn't get up with one baby in there. Yeah. Like I can't brutal. even It was it was really it was oh really not gosh. like I I really did not look like a human should I was like, wow, this is <laughs> this is not how this is supposed to this like, is how does your stomach stretch that far? Dude, it, it's amazing. It was n- amazing's not really <laughs> so beautiful. So yeah, I was like, this is not okay. I remember saying to the, <laughs> saying to my OB, so like, is there any chance that I w- won't have stretch marks? And he just was like, no, absolutely not. And he was like, honey, but you'll have beautiful babies. I was like, Ugh. but you do live in Orange County. There is some really good plastic surgeons here. I know. Just get that cut off and go on with your day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know. Oh That's, there's a lot. There's a lot to be done in that in that yeah. arena. Gosh, I can't believe I survived that. And you survive. Well, you have a five-month-old. I know. You're like just I'm out like of this. Barely surviving. Yeah. Oh, I have a five-month-old. I have a two-year-old, and, and I have a thirteen-year-old, and, and they're all girls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All girls. All girls. Yeah. I just. Um, <laughs> so what? Do I you, try not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? What do you? How do you stay sober? Like in those moments, like. When you've had those moments where you're like, I've had the moments, mine are more like, I'm going to run away. Like, I'm literally. That's what I do. I'm going to run away. Like, I'm I'm (laughs) out of this house. I'm going to be down. Like, I'm serious. I'm not talking about, like, packing my bags. I'm talking about, like, exiting the building. I don't even need bags. (laughs) Where I'm going, we don't need bags. I'm out. I'm running away. That's that's what I think like, the first thought is to run away. (laughs) I love my kids. Like, my kids are great. But sometimes it's just too much. Yeah. Like fighting with a two-year-old about if her shirt is backwards when it, it is backwards. <laughs> I know for a fact that it's on backwards. But if I try to turn her shirt around, <laughs> she'll take off every piece of clothing. And then she'll refuse to get dressed. And then she'll put she'll want to pick out a different outfit. And then she wants to wear a tutu. And I'm like, you can't wear a tutu to where we're going because I can't clip the car seat. So then it's like a 15-minute blowout for that. <laughs> and then meanwhile, my 13-year-old is downstairs like, Mom, you didn't wash my leggings. I don't have anything to wear to school. And and then the five-month-old is like, I need to nurse again. And I'm just like, okay, run away. Yeah. That's what <laughs> the, the, yeah. I'm going to run away now. So then in those moments, though, I honestly – I'll tell my husband, I'll say, I need a break. And he'll be like, okay, when what I get he's home. not there? No, he'll okay. say, when I get home from work, you can go do whatever, and I'll take on the kids. But that wasn't always the case. Right. So before it was like, I was isolated in the mountains with no one there. <laughs> I remember that. In those moments, I would cry. I would do a lot of crying. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you just got to cry it out. <laughs> I would... I would call people that I knew had kids that could, like, talk me down. And I would just tell myself, like, it's not going to be like this forever. It's not going to be like this forever. And, like, because I couldn't. I couldn't run away. Yeah. I couldn't. I didn't have anyone to help me. Yeah. I was literally, like, like a single parent. Yeah. That was hard. Yeah. It was. I did a lot of crying. <laughs> and I started playing a game on my phone. Like, honestly, I started this thing. It's horrible. I started playing a game on my Tell me it's not Candy Crush. No, no, no. No, this is a game where, like, there's, there's like, castles and there's, like... Clash of Clans. No, it's called Guns of Glory. And there are, like, people in your alliance and, like, you meet people from all over the world. Oh, dear God. And it's it's crazy. But, like, these people were, like, my friends (laughs) 
through this. And like, I'm still, like, I still talk to them. And like, honestly, that's like the only way, because I was so isolated. I was working from home. I didn't know any of these mountain people. When I would meet the mountain people, most of them were like smoking meth. And I'm like, I don't want to hang out with you. Or like, you know, and so I started playing this game. And honestly, that thing, that stupid game got me through like a year of my life. (laughs) Well, whatever works, right? Yeah. I didn't drink, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, whatever. Sometimes I'll do, um, this sounds really strange, but I'll do push-ups just to get my endorphins going. (laughs) That's good. Like, it releases endorphins, so I'm, like, trying trying to get some sort of... Well, me and my two-year-old right now, she likes to do yoga. Oh, that's... We find, like, kid yoga videos on YouTube. That's awesome. I won't, like, do them in my living room. So that's super fun. We like doing that. But I had a really bad sciatic injury. And so I haven't been able to do much. Yeah. For after this baby, she really wrecked me. But I'm healing. I just keep saying, I'm healing. I'm healing. I'm healing. This is me healing. I'm healing. Yeah. 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 My kids are two and a half. I think I'm still healing. Yeah. Well, you don't ever heal. (laughs) Yeah. We don't recover, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's some things we don't recover from. Man. But it gets different. Yeah, and and your your pro. Well, you actually you worked at Lion Rock, mm-hmm. and then you made you decided. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I never said anything, but you decided you decided to open an IOP, right? And in a town where there are not a lot of resources, no. and you've been able to help a lot of people in that area and keep people a long time and really do the the good that needs to be done um, for our fellow strugglers. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, has that been helpful and, and kind of what's going on? What does it look like today? So starting an intensive outpatient program (laughs) (laughs) sounded like a really great idea. It's, it's so much work. Like it has been so much work. And honestly, my, my husband and our therapist, like our, we're all partners and they did so much of this work. Like, my job was, like, don't let your kids die. <laughs> like, just, like, keep your, your children alive yeah. while they build this company. And so I was literally isolated for the whole time that we were growing this business. And, like, but it that has been the hardest part is, you know, because now it's not like, oh, I'm at work from 9 to 5 and then it turns off. It's, like, we are there for our clients, like, 24 hours like it's a 24-hour thing it's we do sober living and intensive outpatient and trauma therapy and then we do weekend activities with them like outdoors because we're we're in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada so we'll take them like hiking or skiing or whatever the season is and so it really it takes a lot out of our family time Mm. so that's been a struggle like trying to find balance it's like the whole thing, like that's the key in sobriety is just like recalibrating all the time, all the time. It's like, oh, you think you got balance? Hey, I'm going to throw something else in there. Or like, you know, well, here's another baby. Why don't you balance that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can walk just fine. Let's give you sciatica. Now try to take care of three kids from the bed. Let's do that and run a business. Yeah. So just honestly having support, like having people that I can call to talk to that are sober, strong women and like the women, like, yeah, I have to have strong women. And when I first got sober, I hated women Mm -hmm. because I hated myself. But now I'm like, now I look to women that I want to be more like, 
instead of before I was like, let me find people beneath me so that I'm better than them. And right. I was intimidated by these strong women. Right. But now I like seek them. Yeah. I'm like, I want to know how you're doing that. Because if you can do that, then I can do that. But I need some love and support from you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Love and me. we got to like stick together though. Yeah. Like women can be really awful. So I try to surround myself with like the positive ones. Yeah. And the ones that are like, you know what? Oh, you breastfeed? I use formula? Whatever. Like your kid's getting fed. Like whatever you do that works for you, that works for your family, like do it. Like there's so many moms that like moms are so hard on each other. Mm -hmm. And like it's it's horrible. Like however you parent the best for you because the way that you parent your first kid will be different than the way that you parent your second kid because your second kid's not going to respond yeah. the same way that your first kid is because, like, one's an extrovert, one's an introvert. One of them likes to play with footballs. My other one likes to read. So, like, the the way that, you know, you parent both of them is different. And then, like, working and throwing a business into that whole thing, it's just And it's reserving balanced. the right, you know, and we talked about this, um, reserving the right to – be wrong or change your mind. I think mm -hmm. that's the, a huge, been a huge thing for me, which is I used to think this and then I got more information and now I think this right. and that's okay. It's okay that I could change my mind. Yeah. It's okay to admit like, oh yeah, I, you know, I was wrong about that or whatever it is. I think a lot of times people stick to whatever idea they had to begin mm -hmm. with because they've basically built everything upon that. And, you know, raising kids has to be this way or, you know, whatever. And then we get more information and it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't think spanking is a good idea or I it mean, is or whatever. Like, even like more information for me, it's like just it'll be different. Like the circumstance will be different. Right. And like you can't be so rigid. Right. Like you really can't. Like you – it takes a village. Like they don't say that for – there's a reason. There's a reason yeah. why they say that. They're like, because something, so, okay, me and my, my 13 year old, we have a good relationship now, but for a while she wouldn't talk to me. And so I had to call on my girls. And so they would come to my house and talk to her and like, she would build a relationship with them. And like, instead of being like, oh, well, she's not talking to me. I'm not going to let her talk to anyone. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things. And like, Kids can be really hurtful and, like, hurt your feelings and, like, there's emotions going everywhere and then you get butt hurt because they don't respond to the way that you do it. Even though as a professional, I help people. I know. I know. Right. Like, I know what you're supposed to do. Like, I know how to approach you and you're shutting me down. Yeah. Like, my job is to literally not judge people and help you get into treatment and get help. There is nothing that you could say to me that will make me not like you or any of those things. And still she lies to me. So like those parts, those are the really hard parts. But that's when you call on your friends, your yeah. your girls, your family. Like you guys are my family now. It's not even like, like these girls are like my friends. But us being compassionate towards one another is so, it's such a big part. Yeah. Because if I feel like I'm going to be judged by you, if I'm honest with you about something that my kid did, and then you judge me, then I'm not going to call you. Then I'm not going to have support. Right. And then who are you going to call when your kid's acting like a jerk? Because they will. Yeah. You know, your your kids are 
your kids are going to go screw up, but that's okay. It's just you do what you can and you help them get back on track and and live by example because they're paying attention. Example. They are, even when you think they aren't. Yeah, they are. That's so true. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it, and Thank you for um, me. I'm just I'm, I love your your progress and your willingness to constantly ask for help. I think it's 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 a very beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you. 